you know, you have to look at the cost benefit to your child, right. but also what are you trying to do here? Is there something in, in the way that I think is, is this going to benefit my child or is it going to benefit many children that, that come after her? Yeah. Um, and that also helps me to decide what battles am I going to fight? Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Danae here. That voice you heard in the intro is Nero Feliciano. She's been on the podcast before, so you might recognize her. Nero is the author of This Book Won't Make You Happy, Eight Keys to Finding True Contentment. And we've talked about contentment on the podcast before, but she's back today to talk about contentment, the school edition. We are in the thick of back to school season now, and many parents are challenged with navigating school systems trying to find the balance in letting our kids advocate for themselves and helping to support our kids in the best ways that we can in this environment that they spend so many hours of the week in. Today, Nero and I are talking about managing big feelings when it comes to schools, both ours and our kids, especially how to handle ourselves when we're not feeling content and maybe how to feel a little bit more content with the things that we have and that we haven't really come to appreciate yet. Before we get into today's episode, I'm going to bring you a one-minute word from today's sponsor, PrepDish. PrepDish is a game changer in our house. It's a meal planning service, but they don't send you food. They just send you a PDF in your inbox. It's so simple. So this PDF is three parts. The first page is your ingredient list. Your second page is your prep day list. And your third page is your meal day, dish day list. So how I use this is I get the ingredient list and I order my groceries online. I go to the store and I pick them up, and then I schedule a time together with my husband to do the prep. This takes around an hour, because I always choose the super fast menus, which are an option every week on Prep Dish. So I get to choose my own groceries, and I can alter the recipes if I choose, but I rarely do because that takes more brain power. And I get to do the bulk of the preparation in advance together with my partner, so this prep piece doesn't fall too heavily on either of our shoulders. And then when it comes time to actually get the dish on the table, it only takes 10 or 15 minutes to wrap things up. I encourage you to try it out. Go to PrepDish.com forward slash families to get two weeks free. That's PrepDish.com forward slash families and you'll get two weeks free. Thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, here's my chat with Nero. Hi, Nero. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Danae. I'm so happy to be back. Yes, I'm happy to have you back and talking all about contentment again, your specialty, but the school edition. Yes. Love it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this topic of contentment. I think when I was writing the first book on contentment, which is this book won't make you happy. I was told that authors write the books that they need for themselves. Mm. And, and I did need that book. And I knew this information but I was very honest in the book that I was a work in progress and it it is a process and it is a practice. And 
a development of practices that help us to feel content. We are especially exposed to doing more, having more, being more. And as a clinician, as I'm sure you've seen, it it is contributing to this epidemic of anxiety. It's certainly one of the factors. So I decided to formalize my quest to find contentment. And, and I have to say, writing that book, I hope it changed people's lives. I heard it has, but it, it's been most impactful, I think, on my own. Just oh, because, I I, you know, I know how to go back to that place of going back to what's most important and which battles to fight and what to let go of and how to really essentially rewire your brain so that you go to contentment first when you're mm-hmm. feeling in this place of want or not enough. Yeah. Tell us first the difference between happiness, contentment, Mm -hmm. satisfaction. Are those things, do you see them on a spectrum? How do you conceptualize them differently? I do. I think contentment and satisfaction sometimes can be interchangeable. And especially when we're talking about long-term fulfillment. Happiness, I mean, you can use them all interchangeably, but the way I defined it in the book is if happiness is having everything you want, contentment is wanting everything you have. And I would say happiness, the way we're fed it culturally, especially in Western cultures, because the research has shown it's true for England and for Australia, the UK, um, is that we're told we need to have more. We need to do more. Essentially, we need to be more to earn our feelings of self-worth. And when we get to those levels, then we'll be happier. And that is based on a culture of comparison which you know we have in very close proximity with our smartphones, always being able to look at other people's lives and how they're feeling. But contentment is actually much more sustainable long-term. And it, it talks about, you don't have to feel happy all the time. You don't have to be elated. But what really fulfills you? What brings you peace? I know any woman, for the most part that I know, maybe this is just my friends in perimenopause, if you ask them, would you choose happiness or peacefulness right now? <laughs> or calm. Most yeah. would choose peace and calm, you know, because yeah. that is a different type of happiness versus, um, you know, the highs that we experience once in a while that are very dopamine driven. Yeah. Yeah. So much. So, you know, I've been thinking about contentment and back to school season. We're in the thick of back to school season. And I think, you know, I mean, historically parents have always had strong feelings about their kids' education, rightfully so, myself included. Um, I think when we went through the pandemic, a lot of us kind of saw our kids' education firsthand a lot more closely than we ever had before. And I think we are maybe becoming more and more involved as we've seen that. And I also think the thing that has changed as well in the past few years is that we're more connected to our kids' school experience virtually, right? Like we can see their grades. We can see when they're turning in homework. There's just, there's so much more transparency in many ways that makes us more connected for better or worse, um, especially as kids get older. And you have four kids in public schools. How old are your kids? 16, 14, 12, and one who will be 10 in a month and a half. Okay. So that's elementary, middle, high school. High school. The whole gamut. My second is going to high school next year. So I'll have wow. two in high school. Yeah. It goes so fast. And I think that's very true. We've been very connected and we're given access in ways that, you know, our parents didn't have access when we were growing up. So yeah. certainly there is that tendency to want to monitor and control. And especially if you look at for so many people, 
the kids are extensions of ourselves. And oftentimes, and I know you see this in practice too, we identify with their success. And oftentimes if they're not succeeding, we may feel like we're failing. Um, and that's certainly another conversation, however, we can have right now. Um, but that has to be separated. And I think that also drives many people to kind of micromanage and helicopter, snowplow, yeah. whatever you want to describe yeah. in terms of their parenting. So if our, if we feel like our kids aren't succeeding in school, we feel like it's like, we're not succeeding. It's a reflection of us. I mean, yeah. look at, go to any uh, sports field sideline and just observe the parents. <laughs> right. I always feel like they need a therapist on the sidelines, especially yeah. in Fairfield County. You're like, oh my gosh, this is eight-year-old soccer. You know, this is right. not college scholarship time. Even so, you already yeah. went to college, right? So um, it's it it can happen so subtly, but when it does, it it, it can be insidious, and especially to our kids' mental health and our own. Yeah. Yeah. I read a quote um, a year or so ago, and of course I have no idea where it came from, but it's really stuck with me. It's the most therapeutic thing that you can do for a kid is to help them succeed in school. Oh. And I love that. Mm. Thinking about this, the connection between yes. mental health and success in school. Yes. And that is, I think it's something that is, it's so important and underrated. I think so. You know, and when you say the most, you said it was the most, the most therapeutic, therapeutic thing. thing that you can yes. do for a kid is to help them be successful in school. So I think though, it, it depends on the definition of help. And mm -hmm. it also depends on the definition of success. Cause I can see that go the other way. Yeah. Too. yeah. That if you're so driven to help your kids in that you're doing everything for them, so that they can be successful. I don't think that's helpful. Mm. And I think See, that I heard that little... totally different. That's interesting thinking about it that yeah. way. Because when I hear that quote, I hear they have to be socially, emotionally successful in order to be able to learn and to to thrive and to feel good about their performance in school. That's how I hear that. But I can see yeah. it from your perspective too. I heard it very differently. And it's probably a reflection of what I've seen in practice over the years yeah. here. You know, I mean, 18 years in Fairfield County working with parents and adolescents, right. I, I hear, I hear it differently because your kids need, I hear it as your kids need to be successful at all costs and or they won't be happy or they won't or be they, happy. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think it really depends on your definition of success and also your definition of what is helping them actually mean. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I think, have you experienced dissatisfaction with your kids' schools? Is that something in your, in your journey so far as a parent? So it's, it's interesting because that changes at the level, um, that you're in. And I, I know parents who've been dissatisfied at every level for sure. Um, I think the only time I have experienced true dissatisfaction was more recently at the high school level when my daughter tried to, to start an affinity group for Latino students. And she was told she couldn't. Hmm. Um, and that was something where I had to step back. And you know, this is part of the field that I studied in as well and why it's important in terms of identity and especially as a minority in a predominantly white culture to have your groups. And not to say that it was exclusive because anyone was welcome to come to the group, but it, the educators at that school did not understand the importance of it. So here you have a 15-year-old 
you know, or actually, yeah, 15 year old sophomore at the time. And I said to her, okay, I'll let you take this as far as you can go because I wanted to empower her to do it. I didn't want to step in and say, I, I can put an end to this in a minute. You know, right. I can give them all the research articles that show why yeah. this is detrimental. Their decision is detrimental to their school and also to, to Latino students. Um, but I let her fight it as far as she can go. And we had conversations and I affirmed her actions and she went back several times. And then at the end of it, she did hit a brick wall, which is where I'd stepped in. And now they have a very thriving Latino affinity mm-hmm. group at the school. Yeah, so That was a dissatisfaction at the systemic level where, okay, we need more education for our educators um, and especially in certain environments. But but I had to navigate it very differently with an older student because at that point, they're two or three years away from going off and living their own lives and advocating for themselves. And we're not going to be there. So yeah. that decision was very different than earlier on. But but in terms of my other kids' schools, I've been very satisfied. I feel like we've been very lucky in our school yeah. system here. Yeah. I, it's, you know, I think when, when my kids were very young, before they were even in school, I had a lot of hopes and wishes for their education. And I think a lot of it surrounded methodology and curriculum and wanting certain ideals. And, you know, we moved a lot in the early years. My kids switched schools a few times and I really transitioned to really just wanting a place where they felt loved and they felt embraced and they felt happy. And that as I think that's something that has really stuck with me as they're getting older, they're going to be in second and fourth grade this year. And that, you know, that's first and foremost, that they, a place where they can feel safe, a place where they can feel embraced. Mm. And I, we have that, but my kids are at independent schools and that is a huge privilege to be able to really search that out and find a place for them to feel loved and embraced. And I, I wonder if I didn't have that, how I feel like that would be challenging for me if my kids didn't feel like that in their schools. And I feel like that we have that privilege that they do feel that. I think there are definitely parents with kids. And especially if your kid has any special need, um, learning need or, or any sort of special need where there are battles that they're going to have to fight, especially in the public school system. And I've seen many parents go to bat for their kids when they've been told no when they've been given information that's inaccurate about their kids, they really have had to take it to other levels. And then ultimately for some to find a place where their kids are understood and feel loved and, and also feel a sense of belonging. I think that's really important Mm -hmm. in school systems. Um, I do think that sense of safety is really important because even if they experience challenges, if they ultimately feel safe and ultimately feel like there are trusted adults who are going to have their back and advocate for them and who they can talk to, then those challenges become growth experiences for them. If they don't have a sense that someone has my back here and people believe me and I have at least a couple trusted adults I can go to, then that that compromises our sense of safety and their well-being, their mental health, their emotional health. So as parents, I think we really have to be discerning as to what what type of environment really is it. And and we see that when the kids go through challenges. That's where we kind of discover those qualities. Yeah. 
Well, I think we have to be careful not to get caught up in expecting every adult in the environment or every human in the environment to embrace and love and be warm to our child either. And, you know, even though we did have choice in where we send our kids to school, I certainly haven't been happy with every aspect of it. And I talk to a lot of parents who are not happy with many aspects of the same schools. So I think that every parent's going to bring a certain amount of dissatisfaction or a certain amount of contentment to those educational experiences. But I think when we set the bar so high and we expect our children's schools to be perfect in many ways, I think we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Absolutely. And contentment and expectation certainly go hand in hand. Our expectations have to be realistic. And I don't think there's any school system that is perfect. I I remember even um, this past year, I will say there was some dissatisfaction. Um, And I will, I'll just summarize this briefly. Our, Our middle school did a phenomenal production of The Lion King. It was wonderful. And if you know The Lion King, it's a predominantly cast of color. Mm-hmm. Um, hardly any of the roles went to students of color mm. in that, which, which was pretty significant, you know, considering that was kind of a groundbreaking show and there were students who were qualified to do it. So, um, again, I could appreciate the fact that there was so much heart and soul that went into this. And at the same time, there was a small piece of dissatisfaction saying, oh, they don't really understand what this show actually represented. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if they were aware of that. So we have, so how to- did you handle that? Would that be something that yeah. you would address or do you, something that you would, I, I wanted apply. to address it. And it also hit close to home because, um, I was called back three times for that show when it first came out on Broadway, I used to say, no way. So, um, I was like, that show was, it meant so much for me. So again, yeah. I didn't want to like project because I certainly, my right. feelings were more intense about right, it. Right at a time where I couldn't get called back for call- roles, you know, cause they weren't going to cast someone who looked like yeah. me. Um, I, I talked to some friends who were in theater and I said, what do you think of this? Especially now because inclusion and diversity is really important in the theater. And I did not want to respond reactively mm. and I did not want to respond as a parent who was disgruntled that my child didn't yeah. get the role that she deserved, even though I felt that way, you know? Mm. And I said, if I'm going to respond, I'm going to respond when it's over. So it can be an educational experience, not something that they're going to take as reactive. And yeah. I also felt like, you know, my child it's good for you to not be a lead, you know, be in the chorus and see what that's like. I think that's a great yeah. experience for you. And it was for her. So, um, I still haven't, addressed it with them. I'm waiting till, because also it was such a great show and they were on a high from it. And I didn't want to end the year. Take away from that. I don't want to end the year being like, so I'm, I'm waiting to the fall. I have already written an email just about, Hey, maybe think about this when you're casting, um, next time. And this is the importance of why. So, um, so you wrote the email, but you didn't send it yet. Send it. Yeah. I love that. I've, I've never done that. You just save it and draft. I've wrote, written a lot of emails that I've deleted, <laughs> haven't sent, <laughs> but you fully intend to send it in the future. Oh, yeah. Just waiting it's, for the time to be it's, right. It's timing. Mm, and and yeah. a lot of times, yes, you know, you have to look at the cost benefit to your child, right. but also what are you trying to do here? Is there something in, in the way that I think is, is this going to benefit my child or is it going to benefit many children that, that come after her? Yeah. Um, and that also helps me to decide what battles am I going to fight? But I think in terms of contentment, you have to look at in what ways is this school good for your child? In what ways yeah. are they 
thriving. And does that outweigh the dissatisfaction? But to but to expect across the board that it's going to be fairer in terms of your standard or mm-hmm. um, you know, this the it, without fault. Um, you know, these are human systems run by human beings. Yeah. So yeah, they're gonna make mistakes. Yeah. It's tricky, I think, to know when to pick your battles. And I love that idea that, you know, you're picking it, but you're picking it with, with timing Mm. being an important element because, you know, you weren't asking them to like make changes in the show when it's like halfway done and you're like, take these characters out and recast this. Like you're not asking for that. And and not even halfway done. Yeah, Yeah. My thought was, as soon as I saw the cast list, I was like, oh, problems here, mm. you know? So you and, knew as soon as you saw the cast list, you yeah. already had these feelings coming up. You yeah. knew who the kids were. You were already processing this, That's but right. you waited. I waited because mm. I didn't want to feel like one that I wanted them to change because of yeah. me, you know, or because my child didn't get the role that potentially she deserved, you know? Yeah. Um, and I also thought it'd be good for her. You know, you're not going to lead all the time. Sort right. Of, right. You know, yeah. be a part of a group. Be, be part of the collective. Um, but I did feel like it was important. It was just a matter of when is the timing to address it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're thinking like you're, you're planting this seed. You're not also not asking them to make a change immediately, but Hey, notice this yeah. and do better. Right. 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 And sometimes there are battles that are worth fighting immediately. You know, mm-hmm. again, if you feel like Safety is compromised. If your child's mental health is compromised, if their yeah. well-being is compromised, if their educational ability is being stifled, mm-hmm. yes, we don't want to wait on those things sooner than later. Right? Yeah, yeah. But instead of reactively, um, you know, take a little time and think about it. And how do you want to present it? Um, how would you want it to be presented to yourself if mm-hmm. you were in that educator's role? And I and I am very cognizant too of the amount that educators have to deal with. Uh, yeah. these days, you know, even just the environment of being in a school can be scary. So yeah. there's a lot that comes at them and I'm sensitive to that. I'm also very sensitive to affirm what they are doing well. We don't always want to come to the school with complaints, right? You know, we, we do yeah. want to affirm what is going well. Oh, a hundred percent. We're going to pause for a one minute word from today's sponsor, KiwiCo. KiwiCo delivers monthly science and art projects that turn curiosity into creativity. Anything from creating giant bubbles to experimenting with ice cream, kids and adults learn in a seriously fun, hands-on way. I promise there's something for everyone, which is what I love, everyone learning together. You'll discover they have subscription lines for kids of all ages, infants, preschoolers, all the way to teens. We have tried a lot of different ones. One that really stands out in my memory and the memory of my kids is the magic box where you learned magic tricks using static electricity. It was really cool. KiwiCo encourages kids to get outside and explore and keeps them off their screens. And they make it easy to take discovery on the go. Everything you need is in the crate. So it's the perfect boredom buster for the entire family. We're traveling this month and we packed a box in our suitcase. KiwiCo has helped to make our summer awesome, and I hope it will yours as well. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code SIMPLE at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com, promo code SIMPLE.
maybe you can advise on this. So I've sort of a, a piece, I don't know if it's dissatisfaction or a, a yearning for change in my son's school. It's school for language-based learning differences. So every single kid there is neurodivergent, but they don't admit kids on the autism spectrum. Oh, it's like a policy they have. And it has been weighing so heavily on me for over a year. So about a year or so ago, they announced they were getting a new head of school. So it felt like I needed to wait until the new head of school came in to really raise this policy because or raise a possible change in the policy because it is quite a large change to right. the admission structure. So I've been kind of sitting on this and she's starting the new head of school starting this fall. And do I gather a group of parents together who feel the same or share the same concern or thoughts about approaching this? I think there's strength in numbers for sure. And especially okay. if you're looking at changing a system, you need more voices than one. And even a professional voice, I've run into that before. Mm -hmm. There is definitely strength in numbers and it's more compelling for someone to take notice and really give the consideration that is due when more voices are in agreement. So no, I think so. But I also think with your professional background, um, you have some weight and, and certainly insight to bring to this discussion. So but I would definitely say to gather a group of parents who feel the same and okay. um, go through why, you know, the, the, there yeah. could be a change in the system. I'm all about changing the system. Yeah. When I just, I want to do it in a way that's effective. And part of me is like, you know, if I do get together a group, like, is it almost like an attack? If I haven't like sent an email or if I haven't gave them like, kind of a, a bit of a, an overview of what I want to talk about. Like, mm -hmm. should I maybe lead with that first and then gather a group of interested parties? I, I, I would do it simultaneously, okay. honestly, because in the email that you send, you can always say there are, are several of us who feel this way, who would like some time to have a discussion with you. And mm -hmm. I'm also available to discuss one-on-one -on -one if you're more comfortable but I think you can present the information and whatever pertinent research and your thoughts and um, timeline in terms of, you know, your progression in consideration yeah. and, and also allude to the fact that you're not the only one. Yeah. Should I have a PowerPoint? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Are you a PowerPoint person? I think if you, it depends. Like if it's something I'm like, if, if yeah. it's something I'm really passionate about, yes, I'm a PowerPoint person because I really want to get my point across. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I, I like that. And I love PowerPoints when I do talks too, because it keeps me focused. So, and, and I do think it shows, Hey, I care enough about this, that I did the work. Yeah. Right? Like I, I'm I, serious here. This yeah, isn't just a I passing the conversation. And, and here, go ahead and share this with other people who are decision makers. Right. So because they can't, you know, she's not going to be able to capture every moment of your conversation and retell. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like, I'm writing the notes for you in advance. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But see, th these are the types of conversations we need to have with trusted, um, objective, you know, for the most part, people before we go to schools and systems and try to make mm. changes. Because I do think the biggest issue that I've seen is people do things reactively and they lose credibility in the way right. that it's conveyed. It's not necessarily what's said, but how it's said. Yeah, we take time to actually talk these things out before and let some of the emotions settle when they can, you know, sometimes they're pretty intense. Um, we are more likely to be heard and right. uh, acknowledge. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it's tricky, you know, because I think these things surrounding our kids are all very near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, sometimes we do want to act quickly, but then could it make us less effective if we're too emotional or passionate about some of these things, or if we come in too hot on them? I don't know. Have you had that experience? Has that happened to you? Um, I did with camp. <laughs> yeah. Came in super hot. And it, it today, it takes a lot to get me there. But yeah. when, when my child's safety is compromised mm-hmm. and you're not there to talk to them and you hear about it secondhandedly. I was super hot. I was super hot. And I, and then I had to take a step back and write a very conscientious email and say the same things in a professional manner. But yeah, I have had that. And that's what I said. Sometimes the issues are big enough where yeah, you need that intensity of emotion. But I also think it can be different um, public schools versus independent schools. I've seen people have to fight really hard sometimes in public school systems. And having gone through independent schools my whole life, um, I have seen for myself, even though my kids are in public school, they listen to parents differently in independent mm-hmm. school systems. You're funding them. So yeah. it is, it's a different situation. Yeah. And at times it depends on how much funding you're providing as to how much they listen. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which is you, an unfortunate truth. Creating a building, building a building, or right. just your kids yep. learning to learn. Yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's tricky. We had a bullying bullying incident this year, and I thought that it was handled extraordinarily poorly. I don't even know if that makes sense mm-hmm. to say it together. Quite poorly. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was one of those things where it, to me, it had to be done in the moment, right? There was no, like, I mean, I think it it really signified a major need for overhaul in all of the bullying policies, which I think is a bigger issue. But at that moment, it was, this was handled poorly. You botched this, like, we need to fix this. And um, it's tricky, I think, and you've probably run into this as a professional in this field is that, you know, I had a whole lot of ideas on ways they could have done this better. And, um, I often try to hold it back, but in this situation, there was no holding it back. There was like, this is what you did wrong. And this is what you need yes. to do better next time <laughs> because it, yeah, it was bad. Clear. Yeah. You have yeah. to make it clear. And that I would say is one of the number one issues schools are dealing with. We had, we had an incident at our middle school this past year and it was dealt with beautifully. And in fact, they wanted to deal with it in a way that was above and beyond, I think what was expected um, by the parents. So, you know, we, we had a really good experience with that, but what the principal is telling me is this is the number one thing that they're seeing now at that middle school level. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a battle worth fighting because I can't tell you for years and years and years when I'm dealing with adults and anxiety and anxiety, how many adults have brought up bullying in middle school as mm. one of the things that impacted their self-esteem the most, and they're still dealing with it as adults. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a battle worth fighting just yeah. from a professional perspective. Well, and I think there are many adults who sort of have this mindset that that's just this rite of passage, right? Mm-hmm. That bullying is just part of growing up. Yeah. And that I think is really harmful. I think so too. I think it's so too. And now the way that kids are bullied is so different. You know, it's so different. It can be very subtle. It is through cyber, you know, text messaging, DMing, um, kicking them off group chats and then talking about them. That's one of the biggest ways I learned this Mm. year that kids are bullied and then turning friends against them. So when kids feel like they're losing their sense of belonging, their sense of well-being is compromised. 
I mean, that's, that's at the center of contentment is feeling like you have a place that you belong and going back to that place when you lose those feelings of contentment. So that's really essential. Well, and it's never been so black and white as to where you belong. You're either in the group chat or you're out of the group chat. It's not like maybe you sat at lunch with one person today and somebody else another day. There's not, it's not gray. It's black or white. It's you're either in or you're out. And sometimes you're in, sometimes you're out, but everybody knows when you're in and when you're out. That's right. Everyone knows. I mean, it's announced on the group chat more or less. Yeah. Right? So it's, um, it, it's, it, that's something that I do feel like we can empower our kids and have conversations with them and help them try and navigate it. But at a certain point, when you see that their mental health and emotional health is being compromised, we do have to get involved as parents. Yeah. Have you ever had any situations where you feel like your kids have had too much homework or you've been, dissatisfied with the out of school elements? I have had the opposite. I I have felt at the elementary level, our kids haven't had enough, which Mm. is odd to say. And I I've said that because I've seen the transition from elementary to middle school and they felt very overwhelmed in middle school. Uh, And I felt that they could have done more at the elementary level. So um, that was one place, but I will say now with my rising junior taking four APs next year, which in and of itself is crazy to me considering what we did when we were at that age, the amount of summer work is unbelievable Mm. and it's heavy. I mean, she's sitting there like in the summer and 80 degrees reading Malcolm X, you know, like, (laughs) Oh, you poor thing, you know, but yeah. um, Where did summer work come from? I don't remember summer work, but they have intense AP summer work. And that's what I was saying. This drive for accomplishment I mean, these kids are graduating with eight or nine APs, you know, the high achieving kids, um, which I think is insane considering like when we were in college, maybe we took one or two, right? Well, I mean, college is for college. You should go to college to get your credits. You're not supposed to be getting all of your credits in high school. Literally, they can skip a semester (laughs) and and sometimes here. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But now it's almost like a rite of passage even to apply to certain colleges, yeah. So we, we've told our kids, um, do things because they're meaningful to you because you're going to do all the right things and still not get into some of the places you want. So, and maybe yeah. all, so do it for the right reason. Yeah. Wait, so you have one, when is your first college admission year, the application year? Is that next year? Um, it really happens towards end of junior, beginning of senior year. So we start junior year. This year. Okay. Start have you started visits yet? No, no, no. This no. year? Um, I think so. I think so. We will start, but not actively. And, um, you know, we're kind of letting her lead because I feel like she should take the lead and, you know, being in a family of four kids, they've also learned if we don't take the lead, it's going to take a really long time for mama to do it. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, especially a working mama. So they are very good at that, especially the two older ones. So we're, we're seeing where it goes. Yeah. How do you feel about um, the school's hand in managing peer conflict? Mm. I feel like there are some schools where the guidance counselors or the social workers really play a huge role in managing the complexities that come up with social media and the drama on Snapchat and that sort of thing. Um, Do you feel like that's the school's role or have you seen the school stepping in on that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the school does have a role in it because there's really a fine line between peer conflict and bullying. So I do think they have a a role in it. And I have seen both. I've seen situations that have been handled really well. 
And then again, situations that were handled poorly. And I have to say that the the situation I'm thinking of that was handled poorly, again, had to do with race. And Mm -hmm. it was more the reactivity of someone not a part of that minority group that was reacting in a way offended um, and not understanding the cultural complexity of the situation. And the fact that those kids within that group were not offended, but it mm-hmm. became a bigger issue than it needs to be. And some of those kids were, um, you know, called to action, disciplinary action. Yeah. So I, again, I think there's a psychoeducation and cultural sensitivity piece that was missing. Um, that is part and parcel with you know, growing up in the environment that, you know, our town is not all that diverse. So yeah. as someone in this town, that's been part of my role is to help with the education of in those situations. Um, our superintendent is phenomenal and very educated. So no concerns at all about her and she gets involved, but at the lower levels, sometimes it needs more work. Um, but I do think schools do have a role in mm-hmm. being a part of that and even monitoring because again, it goes yeah. to their mental and emotional health. And if kids are not mentally healthy, they're not going to learn. Right. They're not going to learn. They're not right. going to retain that information if they're feeling emotionally dysregulated. Right. They're so, so distracted by it that it's yes. that they can't really show up if their mind, even if their phone is in their backpack, their mind is also in their backpack rather than on their books. Right. Right. So that's why it it goes along with their educational experience. If they are feeling content, if they are feeling supported, they are going to have a higher aptitude to learn. We're going to see that. We've seen it in the research. If they're emotionally dysregulated, we have to get them help and address the issues that are going on. Yeah, yeah. And we're still all stumbling and figuring that out, which is tricky. And I do, I mean, my heart goes out to educators and anyone really working in the school systems because they're really stumbling through and figuring all of this out too. And a lot of times they're getting a lot of heat from parents because they are botching it up. And they don't know how to handle it. And neither do we. I mean, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say we're not the experts, but we kind of are in many of these things, but we still don't always get it right or even often get it right. No, we don't. And and I think it's trial and error. And also yeah. looking at your kids, they're all different. They have different needs. I have some kids who can deal with some situations on their own far better than others. So we have to look at the child too, and what kind of support do they need to really thrive? And it may look different depending on the child as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about, you know, that bullying situation that I mentioned where they really botched it up. And I, um, like, I feel kind of bad saying that because, you know, I, I, somebody made some mistakes and they didn't handle it well, but they handled it as best as they knew how. Right. And their intent was really good. Right. And it was just, it, it was hard. You know, basically what happened was they, you know, my son was being bullied and they caught the, the person who handled it called the bully and my son in after he had been physically aggressive towards him and verbally aggressive. And they, he, they made the bully promise to be friends with my son. Oh, wow. And it was just, it just felt so like you you completely missed the mark. And, um, but the challenging part was that I think that the intent was good and that they really wanted the best in the situation. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just felt like if this is your role, if you're the one put tasked with, uh, with remediating this, you got to do better than that to do better. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And it takes time to repair. It yeah. takes time to repair. And, and we have to look at what makes a child feel safe. And also, especially in this day and age, when we're seeing more incidents of bullying and suicide, it is not something that we can take lightly. And if, yeah. like you said, if you see that it was not handled properly, properly, you know, the kids are powerless in that situation. Yeah. We do have to step in. Right. Right. And they're learning, right. They're learning what yep, the expectations learning. are. But I love that us. you said, I looked at the intention, right? Mm-hmm. I, I even say that when I'm talking with couples going through different situations that, yeah, I, I, you heard what that person said, but what was their intention behind it? Let's, mm-hmm. let's start with that and then work forward. Right. Um, right. That can help us to understand, get a better understanding of the big picture and also how to approach it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this chat today, Nero. I hope that it will bring some insight into people who are starting off this school year with any kinds of reservations or um, challenges, because I know we all are in some way, shape or form always. Um, What are you working on now? What's new in your life? What am I working on? So still doing media, you know, it's been fun. I've been on the Today Show a bunch of times now. Yeah. And working on a second book about contentment during the holidays, which is a time where a lot of things come to the surface. It's a, it's a tough time to feel content for so many yeah. people for so many reasons. And that book is called All is Calm-ish, How to Feel More, Less Frantic, More Festive During the Holidays. We're still figuring out the subtitle, but that's oh, I'm so excited. right now slated to come out 2024 fall. Do you have a dressing room or a chair at the Today Show with your name on it yet? No, not quite. No, no. <laughs> I'm I'm in the green room, in the green room okay. with everybody else. But but it's I love fun. it. No, I've been. That's been a very unexpected opportunity at this stage of my life. But it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you've been amazing. When I went to your book launch um, party before I met you and heard you speak, I was just like, oh, she's gonna do very big things because oh. I loved everything that you said. And you're an amazing speaker and author and influence. So I'm excited to see what comes from you next. And I hope you'll be back soon. I will be back. And thank you for those words. That means a lot coming from you. you Thank you. You have all my respect. All my respect. Thank thank you. you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nero. If you want to learn more about her and her book, go to the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 357. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next month.